What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 60. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? It's going pretty well. And you know what I just realized? Episode 60. You know what this means we can do now? This means that you can now play one episode and like condense it down to a, a minute and then listen to an hour of every single one of our episodes. Wait, never mind. This doesn't make any sense. Just start the intro. So... <laughs> You'll get there one day. It's okay. <laughs> I had something for this, I swear. This week we are diving into the, well, what we're calling the four-format fiesta, the plethora of draft formats that have recently cropped up on Arena or are about to crop up as we got a pretty interesting announcement at the beginning of the week. So we will talk about that. But before we do, some housekeeping to take care of. If you haven't already, jump into the Discord. It's the best place to go to keep in touch with us and the rest of the community here, all of our aficionados, as we discuss all of these formats, different constructed formats. We've been trying to get groups together to play EDH on a more regular basis as well. So you can definitely jump in there if you're interested in playing that or any other constructed formats for that matter. And of course, we've already started, as it seems is, commonplace nowadays one set finishes spoilers another starts and Innistrad has started so definitely uh, get in the discord to keep up to date on all of the different Innistrad spoilers as we're talking through all the cards that are being spoiled over there as well if you're interested in giving back to the show or supporting us directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod that's the best place to go to support us huge thanks to all of our patrons we really can't thank you enough we're beyond grateful we have perks over there, including stickers, show notes, unedited recordings with like post and pre-show banter, as well as signed copies of our Draft Chaff Hero card. If you're not familiar with the Draft Chaff Hero, check out our DCH episodes, which we do every set. And there are a handful of other perks over there, and we're continuing to bolster the different perks that are there as well throughout the year. So check that out if you're interested in supporting us. Again, that's at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. All right, but I think that that does it for housekeeping. Ben, why don't you walk us through our crack a draft type thing? So this week we've got Amonkhet. It's back. It's just as deserty as ever. And I think we should take a look at a quick pack one, pick one, just to kind of run through it, get some of our thoughts on the format and some of the overall mechanics and what we think. So we're going to start off with Pitiless Vizier. That's the format of 4-2. When you cycle or discard a card, it gets indestructible. Next. Next is Cartouche of Knowledge. One of the blue, it's an aura. Now, cartouches are a cycle of aura enchantments. They attach to creatures, and they usually ETB to do something that makes sense for the color. The blue one draws a card, the green one fights, white one gives first strike and makes a token. And uh, they all also are known for triggering the trials. So whenever you play a cartouche, it bounces a trial back to your hand, which is a pretty neat little synergy that's kind of woven throughout. It kind of makes sense if you, I guess, defeat the trial and then earn your cartouche, you get to do it again. Blue cartouche, pretty solid, especially putting this on the, something like a striped riverwinder, which does have hex proof, not ward. Man, playing against one yesterday felt so brutal. I was, I'm so used to ward now. I think ward is a huge upgrade over hexproof, but it feels bad. It happens sometimes. Not taking the first pick, though. Next is Dauntless Aven. That's the three mana two one flyer. When it attacks, untap a creature you control. White decks want these. It's a perfect little one two punch with Gustwalker to make sure that thing can always get in as a three three flyer. Next is Desert of the Indomitable. That is a desert. It enters the battlefield tapped and it has cycling for one of the green. 
This is the, the green one, of course. Deserts are good. I don't really take them first pick, but you're pretty happy taking them within, I don't know, four to six pick. These things are a pretty good signal that your color is open. And deserts allow you to do a pretty cool thing. They let you play extra lands. So this might sound a little weird. Why would you want to fill your deck with extra lands? They kind of improve your consistency a little bit. If you have enough cycling lands, you can play 18 or 19 lands because you know that in the late game, when you usually would top deck a basic and it doesn't do anything, if you top deck Desert of the Indomitable, you just cycled away. And having too many lands in the early game is never usually a problem. It helps you hit your land drops. So there's a few different synergies with deserts in this set. A lot of cards check to see if a desert is in your graveyard or on the battlefield. And then there's little cycling payoffs too. So I love the deserts. Still not taking this one first pick, hopefully, but I think I'd like it over a lot of these other cards. Better than the Vizier, better than the Avon. Yeah, I think Cartouche is a card that I would be looking to take at this point because pretty much all of the Cartouches, and I think the blue one especially, are pretty good. And you pretty much want them in any deck that they can go in. So I think I'd be on Cartouche over the desert here. But yeah, all those things you mentioned are certainly applicable to the deserts. Next up is Desert Ceridon. That's a 6-mana six 6-4. Six it's a beast, and it has Cycling for 1 red. Yep, fine card. It has Cycling for 1 red, actually. So funnily enough, this has the opposite effect. Having non-land cards with Cycling means that you can play less lands. So if you have a good mix of, like, Cycling lands and Cycling creatures, you usually just play around 17 lands, maybe 16, depending on how your build looks. If you have more Cycling creatures or enchantments or what have it than other things, they kind of balance out. I love these cards. They help make sure your draws are consistent, and the Cycling synergies in the set are fun. Not taking it though next is crash through this is one red for a sorcery your stuff gets trample until on a turn draw a card trash trash through next is sacred cat one white for one one lifelink within balm one so in balm one it's kind of like flashback for creatures except instead it exiles it from the graveyard and you wind up making a token that's a copy of it now that's not to be confused with eternalize which creates a four four copy of the creature with all of its other abilities so sacred cat is a nice little one one it looks especially good when your opponent has a bunch of three ones but you know still just a, a fine card not really happy for picking it next is ornery kudu that's two and a green for a three four it's an antelope and when ETBs put a minus one minus one counter on a creature you control. Usually it goes on itself, making it a three mana two three, but if you can figure out another clever place to put that counter, maybe like a, a mana dork, uh, the mana dork, I think it's Naga Vitalist, is a two mana zero two, which wears a counter very well. It helps this thing come in as a three mana three four. So I like this card. It pairs with the minus one minus one synergy. From what I remember, it wasn't as strong in Amaket Remastered, so they ended up just kind of being like value cards instead. And this makes them a little more susceptible to your opponent's stuff that adds an extra counter of a certain type, like the, the camel does, or, I don't know, destroys all creatures with minus one, minus one counters on them. So it's, again, pretty C-level card. Next up is Oketra's Avenger. That's the two mana three one. You can exert it, which for those that may need a refresher, exerting is when you move to combat and declare it as an attacker, you can choose to have it not untap during the next untap step in exchange for some kind of buff or bonus. So this one is, it prevents all combat damage that would be dealt to it this turn. Pretty resilient little three one here. I like it. It's fine. Uh, it fits with the aggressive theme. It does the exert thing. So, you know, it, it, it's fine. Not exceptional by any means. So we're hoping to find something a little more powerful. I think I'd probably still take the cartouche over it. Next up, our last common, Hoodie V, the Hooded Brawler. Two and a green for a 3-2. When it attacks, you can exert it. It gets plus two, plus two until on a turn. Yeah, goodbye, cartouche. Yeah, I, I love Hooded Brawler. This card's awesome. It's honestly one of the best modern limited three drops, in my opinion. I, it, it just feels so good turning it sideways. This is a three drop that attacks for one fourth of your opponent's life total. That's nuts. It's a three mana five four. When you want it to be, that's the, the, the best part. It's flexible. I love Hooded Brawler. Put as many of them as you can in your green aggressive decks. I'm slamming it here. Yeah, so far that is exactly the card I'm on as well.
Let's see if our uncommons can displace Hoodie B from his throne. We've got Reduce to Rubble. This is a split card. It's an aftermath card. Half of it is right way up, half of it's sideways. Reduce says counter target spell unless its controller pays three. And honestly, I always forget what Rubble does because I never cast this card in my life. Sounds like a land destruction spell, so that's always what I assume it does. Uh, up to three target lands don't untap during their controller's next untap step. Who cares? I've never cast this card. Uh, turns out countervailing winds is kind of the premier counter spell in this format, and that's typically seen in the in the cycling decks that more care about cycling and can get cards in the graveyard. Counter spells just aren't always the best, especially one like this where it's conditional, as sometimes uh, you'll want to counter your opponent's two drop on turn five, and it just won't work. So uh, I'm passing this, still taking the hoodie B. Next up is Ruthless Sniper, one black for a 1-2. Uh, whenever you cycle or discard, you can pay one. If you do, put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature. Strong build around does nothing if you don't have any cyclers. So I think I'd like to be in a cycling deck before I take this, especially because everyone wants cycling cards. A lot of the cycling cards are just good in their own right. You're not going to take this and then maybe luck into a bunch of cyclers. Everyone else is going to be taking them too. Yeah, see, that's an interesting piece with this card. Like, we talk often, and most content creators talk often, about, like, payoffs versus enablers. And, you know, this card is a card that you would really think of as a payoff for having cyclers. But it's not really a reason to be in a cycling deck, right? Like, everybody, like you said, wants cycling cards. And so you need to get critical mass of cycling cards before this card's going to do anything for you. And because of that, you can almost certainly expect it to wheel unless you've got somebody to your left, you know, maybe a few seats who's picking up a ton of cyclers right off the bat in the beginning. But none of the cyclers we've seen in this pack, at least besides maybe the desert, are even early picks in the first place. So you can probably expect to see the first sniper wheel. After the first one goes, don't expect to see any more than that because... By then, people will be in those heavy cycler decks, and they'll they'll know to pick them up. Last uncommon here is Stenser. This is one in the blue for an instant counter-target spell, unless this controller pays one, cycling for one blue. Yeah. I mean, this is what you want in your counter spells, right? It, it, it's it's one of the limited counter spells where you don't always have the ability to use it, because like you said, maybe you want to counter their two-drop on turn five, and, well, they can just pay the extra mana for it. And in that case, well, you just cycle it away and get another card. So it's a solid counter spell, not really the pick here but it is kind of what you want to see in your counter spells that have limited utility. Yeah, pretty fantastic on turn two, countering an opponent's two drop. But outside of that little turn two to turn three window, this doesn't really do too much. It's it's good. You'd play it, and it's great in the cycling deck. I just hate admitting that Sensor's a good card. I, I can't stand Sensor. Let's talk about the rare, or uh, should I say mythic. This is Hazret the Fervent. Three in red for a 5-4. Indestructible haste. Can't attack or block unless you have one or fewer cards in hand. And you can pay two in red to discard a card to deal two damage to each opponent. So this card sounds like it has a little bit of setup to it. You have to get an empty hand or basically empty one or fewer cards. And typically that's not what you want to do. But Hazard is worth it. It's virtually impossible to kill the gods in this format. It's indestructible. There is some stuff that does it. The black five mana removal spell. The, the four mana red removal spell. And then a, occasional auras or enchantments but this thing just ends the game it's a slam bomb i love hazard always taking it over everything if hazard weren't in this pack what are you taking i think i'm still on hooded brawler to be honest hazard is pretty much the windmill slam here but hoodie b is not too far behind and they fit well together as well so if you could wield you won't wield the hooded brawler but if you could you know that wouldn't be too bad either i think that's one of the great things about hazard as well is yeah they added that little downside of you know you basically have to be out of cards but it's an aggressive card to begin with which means you're probably pairing it with a lot of aggressive cards and they like to attack and just slam and they're generally cheap so you're usually running out of cards in the first place so it's not exactly a downside when you look at it like that but yeah hazard's the easy slam here 
Yeah, imagine a deck with uh, a handful of the one-drop Bloodlust Insider, the one that taps to give something haste, and then just a million two-drops and million three-drops and Hazard as the top of the curve. That is a very nice-looking Cat deck. Oh, yeah. All right, on to our Teferi Tybalt. This is our sort of roses and thorns section of the show where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, Teferi, Tybalt, what you got? Right, so minor magic related this week. Uh, I guess I should start with my Tybalt because there's been some nonsense among the mythic scene recently, I suppose. So this month, it was split up because of some kind of uh, software update, right? So they originally said that they were going to give invites to the next qualifier weekend, which is sealed. It's sealed Midnight Hunt. So it's the hot thing. Everyone wants to get this. They said they were going to give that to the top 500 ranked Mythic players on the 10th uh, because that was when their software was going to turn over. Then they announced that actually they were no longer doing the software turnover and that instead that's pushed back to the 24th. So now they're doing, I think, like a season ending on the 24th instead dead and then they said okay well don't worry we're still giving invites to the first 500 people to hit mythic by the 10th you may notice there that's not exactly what i said the first time first 500 versus top 500 are two very different things so meanwhile i was drafting like a madman the night before because i was like oh well i left it off to the last minute but that's fine i can grind a mythic in a night Uh, i was in like high diamond and it was early enough in the month that i was pretty confident i wind up in top 500 so i'm grinding i'm grinding and i decide maybe i should just double check the announcement one last time and i do and it says first 500 and i go wait a minute first 500 it's already the 10th people probably hit it on the fifth I've got no shot. I, I must just be insane. I must have misremembered. I feel so dumb for waiting until the last second on the ninth at night to do this. Turns out I wasn't insane. They just changed the wording in, in the announcement. Uh, in fact, there's a Reddit thread that you sent me today and it's it's blown up on the MTGA subreddit. People have probably seen it. I've got a comment hidden in there with like, 30 some upvotes because I was like, what the heck? How'd this happen? But anywho, it actually looks like I, I just searched. There was another announcement today. I don't know when, but it must have been just very recently. So it says now it's going to continue uninterrupted the usual ranked season until the 24th and ranks will reset at the end as normal. And then the September season will be longer to make up for it. And then to honor the rewards announced when the season was to be split, the August season is now a doubling season that will feature double gold and pack rewards plus twice as many card styles, blah, blah, blah. And then it says to honor the invitation structure, both the first 500 people to reach Mythic rank, as well as the approximate top 500 Mythic rank players, as of 7 a.m. PT on August 10th, and both constructed and limited will be extended qualifier weekend invitations. Here's the thing, dude. I stopped drafting though. I didn't hit <laughs> Mythic until like later that afternoon. So I don't know if it's going to cut me off or not. I don't know if I'm going to end up getting the invite for this or not, uh, because I honestly, I, I might have been like two hours after. <laughs> this wow. 7 a.m. cutoff. But it says approximate top 500 Mythic Rank players. And I was like Diamond 1 the whole time. So I don't know if I'm going to get the invite. I guess I have to just hit it at the end of the month the old-fashioned way. There you go. I was just about to say, that that's still like your consolidation prize is if you hit Mythic and you manage to keep top 1,200 as per usual, by that point, August 24th, you'll still get the yep. invite. So that kind of sucks. It was a very rollercoastery story there. The fact that they ended up honoring both the original and the change is nice. We don't usually see too many good faith statements like that from Watsi. But they're the one that screwed up in the first place. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, well, I, you're not getting any complaints from me. I, I totally am with you there. But we don't usually see them backpedal and say like, yeah, we're going to do the thing that we said we were going to do in the first place, even though we changed it after the fact. Like, they don't do that very often. So it was nice that they actually did. Well, they didn't anywhere in here apologize or admit that they were wrong. That's but fair. I guess That's I'll fair. take it. Uh, it would be nice to get a nice little email that says, by the way, you did qualify. Thanks for grinding all night. I, I wasted us so many gems on that. 
like I, I feel like I, I probably threw away like a thousand gems just like through a few drafts and then chaining them together. I wouldn't have done that if I'd known it wasn't worth my time for making it into the a top 500 or if it was long past my time already if it was in the case of the first 500. So lots of miscommunications there. Uh, I did end up hitting Mythic though. Uh, I came in around 200. So that <laughs> I guess I should have done it a day earlier. <laughs> <laughs> how are you feeling about the drift lately like is is that top 200 enough with the drift to keep you there for the rest of august do you think uh i don't know it's gonna be it's a popular weeks. month so so the good thing is a bunch of people already did their grinding right a bunch of people just True. probably i heard some emails went out to people already that they're invited to the the qualifier weekend so those people might just stop drafting or, or might play at best of three if they're you know classy. Uh, that's what I tend to do once I make it to the top 1200. So there might be slightly less competition. Usually during the sealed months, there's more. It ends a little earlier, so it might be time. I did the numbers. I think if the drift is around like 60 to 80 a day, I should be fine. But it might be higher than that. I might have to fight for it a little bit. I'll just fire up quick draft. It's called Heim. I can do that with my eyes closed. <laughs> At least I hope. Hopefully I don't have to though. Hopefully the drift stays within and I kind of just slide my way into a midnight hunt invite. Anywho, uh, after I blew all my gems and kind of tilted about that whole mythic thing, I decided to take a, a pause from that. I've been playing Brawl a little bit. Not Storybook Brawl, uh, Arena Brawl. I should probably get Storybook Brawl at some point, though. I've been having a lot of fun with uh, Delina. What is it? Delina Wild Mage? It's kind of inspired me to want to make a Delina Commander deck, and I might try to do like a budget stipulation, like make a $20 deck or something like that, because a lot of the cards that are good in Delina are the same cards that are good on Arena like I, and in Limited. I was playing stuff like uh, Barbarian Class, Earth Cult Elemental, Swarming Goblins. Red Dragon is the best card to copy with Delina, funnily enough. You can do some really, really stupid things. I had a game this morning where I naturally rolled four of the correct slot. I think it's between 16 to 20. I rolled four in a row on like a Bone Crusher Giant or something. So that was a good time. It's inspired me. I might try to pick up a, a cheap paper copy of uh, this little Delina deck I'm having fun with. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Delina is a very, very cool card. Kind of surprised that you're so into her because doesn't really jive with me as your type of playstyle, but I'm glad you're enjoying it because it is a really cool card. Okay, hear me out. I had a play where I had Perforos, the new one, which is kind of like a sneak attack card, and I used Perforos to sneak in, I think it's called, it's like an arena exclusive card. It's something dumb. I think it's called like Siege Dragon. Uh, it's like a 5-5. Five five. When it ETBs destroy all walls your opponents control, it's never happened. But when it attacks, deal 2 damage to each creature your opponents control. So I played it, wiped my opponent's board, and then made like 3 copies of it. So I was blowing up every wall that they didn't have. It, it, it was a lot of fun. That's like a typical play style of this deck. Kind of very sneak attacky, very win out of nowhere. Uh, there's a few ways to give all your creatures haste. I don't know. Uh, turns out mono red ETB triggers is kind of fun. That sounds cool. What's up with you? Yeah, so my Teferi this week is that I've been reading a lot more lately, which has been fun. I've actually been reading a lot of nonfiction, which has been great. been really enjoying some of the books that I've read. I've been reviewing them. It's kind of like a little bit of a uh, little side thing I've been doing for fun on my blog, uh, reviewing the books that I'm reading. So if you're interested in seeing what I've been up to or 
you know, reading the reviews on those, you can check out my blog at wayfarersjournal.com. Subtle plug there. But the other thing is, and any long-term listeners will know that this is a very roller coastery struggle for me, but I'm back to drinking more water again. I drink <laughs> a lot of coffee on a regular basis, and so I'm typically quite dehydrated. And then every time I'm like, hey, I'm kind of dehydrated. I should drink more water. And then I do. I'm like, whoa, this is the best thing on earth. Why have I not been doing this? And then I'll yeah. stop doing it. Amazing. So I'm back to drinking water. Yeah, I got one of those like fancy water bottles that has like the indicators on it of like when you should be drinking stuff by certain times. And mm. it's like nice quality and stuff. So that, that's been nice. I'm happy to be hydrated. My tip of this week is that I might actually try to hit Mythic this month because of the whole, uh, you know, sealed midnight hunt qualifier, which sounds like a lot of fun. I have never actually hit Mythic in any formats. I never spend the time to do it. I don't know that I necessarily could every month from a win rate perspective, but some months I definitely could and I just don't spend the time to bother grinding. But I'm probably going to try this month. The downside is, given my win rate of late in Limited, it's likely going to be a push in Constructed. That's tough. Yeah, so I've been grinding a little bit. The last two days I've put just shy of two hours in games into grinding the standard 2022 queues because that has a ranked queue nice and i've been playing mono green aggro and it has been great and i'm playing a quote-unquote budget version of the deck because i didn't have enough wild cards to build the competitive one and i'm still like at sitting at a 67 percent win rate right now and it's been fun so oh man ranger class is quite the card yes it is also the the werewolf the pack alpha is that what it's called pack leader yeah pack leader love that thing i had it Actually, uh, I don't think I mentioned this in one of my games when I was grinding up to Mythic and like that the night before the cutoff, I played mono green. I don't think I posted oh, nice. it in the Discord because I finished six three. I think I should post that list though. It, it my pack one pick one was uh, the werewolf, but then green was just so wide open. I had like multiple owl bears, multiple removal, uh, multiple uh, gorgeous George at the top end. I'll, I'll post that list. Uh, it was a very very sick one. So the second part of my Tybalt is that I've also been having a lot of neck pains lately. I have this setup with my computer at the moment where I use a dual monitor display setup where uh, it's a over-under setup, so I have one monitor on top of another. And because of the height of my desk, I also use right now the, I guess, pretty typical at this point, Ikea Alex drawers with like a countertop on top of the, the drawers. Those drawers are actually too tall for me for my like optimal desk height. Mm. to have like proper posture and all that sort of stuff so that's too high so i have to raise my chair up to get my arms to be at the right height to actually be comfortable on the desk but then my monitors because i use the two over under have to be kind of one has to be too low and the others are slightly too high to actually be good for like neck ergonomics Mm. so i'm like always craning my neck in a weird way and it's really just not the most comfortable thing in the world I'm moving in a couple of weeks and hopefully I'm actually planning to go to a single monitor setup mm. with like uh, one of the massive like 49 inch ultra wide displays that it, that it will just be big enough to not need multiple screens. But nice. for now, I'm dealing with this issue and it's been causing a lot of neck pain. So, hmm. well, I, uh, I think I want to take us right into the listener question of the week because I am a listener of the show and I actually have a question. How is Germany? This is the first show uh, that will be going up since you've gotten back. Technically, I think the the way our recording has worked out during the summer months has been bizarre. But how was it? Yeah. So I think actually this is now the third time you've asked this question on show. But both of the time, the other times you asked me, I wasn't actually back yet, or yeah. it was like far in the future. So 
I'm pretty sure you asked me this in next week's episode as well. <laughs> it's it's like a whole mess. Oh, and and the one before yeah. you left. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now but we I never actually, ask. actually answered it. Right. So it was amazing. We went for a week, my wife and I, to hang out with my exchange sister. When I was in fifth grade, I had an exchange student stay with us, and she's practically family, so we went to visit her. And uh, it was great. Yeah, we, we went for her wedding. So the wedding itself was really fun. They love to party there. So they actually went, the wedding reception went until seven in the morning. Oh, wow. We did not stay for the duration of that. We <laughs> left at about one thirty. but still it was a, it was a fun late night. They had the reception in a castle, like a legitimate bona fide castle. Of course. Why not? Which was, yeah, right? It was like, it was amazing. Really, really beautiful wedding. The food was fantastic. And then we spent a day in Berlin. We walked 18 miles that day, which was a little bit ridiculous. Nice. But, you know, I got my steps in, so that's good. <laughs> For like and a yeah, right? I can just sit on my chair, which I'll do because I'm at work now. Yeah. So, that, yeah, but it was absolutely spectacular. It was a really, really fun time. Awesome. However, we do actually have another listener question from a real listener because you're a fake listener of this real show. Real listener? Are you kidding? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> this week's question comes from Batwheels, and Batwheels asks, LR had a good question from a listener that they didn't have the right answer for. I don't know if that's saying their answer was wrong or if they <laughs> didn't have an answer. I didn't listen to that episode, but the question is, how many drafts does it normally take you to make to Mythic? Spoiler alert, I've never done so, so I don't know what the answer is for me. I have a little bit of experience in that I've made it to Mythic, I want to say all but two months since I started playing Arena. Who knows when, how long ago when it came out, uh, whenever the ranking system started. I don't know. I, I feel like there were two months when I missed the qualifier. But anywho, it usually takes for me around, I can give you a, a date. It usually takes for me to get to Mythic by around sometime between the 10th through 15th of the month. Uh, because the rank resets typically on the first of the month. I know this month is a weird case. How many drafts exactly that is? I would have to check. Taking a look at my draft history, thank you, 17 lands, I'm just kind of looking through my rank resets, and I'm always in Mythic, so I always reset back down to the bottom of Plat, and it seems to take me on average between 25 to 30 drafts to hit Mythic. So I get that in within like two weeks or so, math checks out on that, and I tend to be an infinite drafter. <laughs> Funnily enough, I'm not right now, thanks to my little grind. So I guess that's a, about as good as an answer as I can come up with. Mythic tends to take me around 25 to 30 drafts in around two weeks yeah and that, again just to clarify for anybody who's like "Ooh, i can do this in 25 to 30 drafts that's from plat one to mythic right so if you're starting in bronze or something it's going to take you probably another dozen or so if you have a good win rate because you're getting two ticks in your rank per win at the at those lower ranks so keep that in mind as well if you're looking to farm up mythic this month or any month for that matter right my overall game win rate right now out of Looks like uh, over a thousand games is 57.6%. So uh, I'll take that. And that's a decent sample size. Uh, and I trophy moderately regularly. Not every time, of course. Uh, not even half the time. Not even a quarter of the time. But I would say probably one out of every like seven or so. Hold on. I can just check the, the data on this. Let me see. About one in six. Uh, I, I trophy about one in six uh, drafts. So uh, that's about as good as a, as a summary as I can give of my own data. And that's all I can really speak on, you know? Yeah. So you know what that means? You trophy at a higher rate than you pull mythics <laughs> on average. Right? Uh, I guess it, mythics are like one in eight packs. You know, it just goes to show uh, you, some people don't need mythics to, <laughs> to, to trophy. <laughs> 
All right, on to our main topic this week. Again, this is the four format fiesta as we're calling it because, well, part of that announcement that Ben was talking about earlier is because of the shift in the release of this backend update. Essentially what, what they're doing with Arena is they're updating the database that is behind Arena that handles all the, the data storage. They're updating that in such a way where they're going to need a bit of a longer downtime and it's going to have to coincide with not only the ranked season, but also the release of Horizons 2 and uh, a few in Jumpstart and, you know, I think that that's what the Horizons thing is. But there are a few other things that rely on this backend update to be in place because I assume they were designed with that backend change in mind. So because the backend change was pushed from August 10th to being August 24th, they couldn't release Jumpstart Historic Horizons. And so... They said, you know what, we're going to give you some other ways to play Historic. First of all, the Historic Brawl queue is there. I don't think there's like a queue for it, but the event is there and it's free for now from what I understand. And they also are giving us three different quote unquote historic draft formats cycling out. So first up, and it's already live, we have Amonkhet Remastered. That runs from August 10th to August 15th. And the first draft, by the way, for all three of these draft formats are free. Wizards is giving everybody one free shot at each of these three draft formats. So that's pretty sweet. You know, good on them for that. So the first one, like we said, Amonkhet Remastered. Then we have Kaladesh Remastered running from August 15th to August 20th. And then we have Ikoria Lair of Behemoths running from August 20th to August 26th. For some reason, that got an extra day, but you know, cool. And then we also have, so those are three formats. Our fourth format here is Kaldheim, which is the current quick draft format we figured we'd throw that in there as well because hey it's another format so we're gonna walk through all four of these starting with Kaldheim and going through in the order that I mentioned them and uh, we'll just give you some quick little tips and highlights things that we remember and what we've seen so far from the Amonkhet data because we have had a day and a half or so of drafts there so far because that's been live at the time of this recording so we'll, we'll talk through those things but keep in mind we do format breakdowns on every single set that comes out and all of these sets have come out except Ikoria while this podcast has been around. So go ahead and check out our format breakdowns for each of these sets, again, besides Ikoria, to get a further, more in-depth look at the format and what you can expect to see there. Right, so let's just get into the formats themselves. I figured we'd start with Kaldheim. It's slightly more recent than a lot of these. A lot of us still remember Kaldheim pretty pretty well. But I, I also wanted to include it in here because it's another format we haven't seen in a little bit. Doesn't hurt to toss in a little refresher. Just noticing a few things uh, and then moving on to some of the more, I guess, questioned and, and in-depth formats. So it's up for quick draft. Uh, so you're, you're drafting against bots. Now, nothing looks broken, but I did notice in the 17 lands logs that there were an awful lot of green-white trophies. I noticed this while doing my one draft of Kaldheim. Uh, I actually noticed that the Bredegard Stronghold, the green-white land, I think I saw three of them go on the table. Uh, so the bots don't seem super interested in green-white, and that seems to be resulting in a slightly higher trophy rate for, for green-white. Again, I didn't go into any of the specific card data, but it just looks like that deck might be a little bit better than some of the other archetypes. I saw it more than snow, which is kind of funny because when humans were drafting that, snow versus white aggro was kind of the, the dichotomy that we dealt with, right? And it was always kind of a toss-up in, in the mirror who would win. Uh, and and it, then it was not a toss-up in white versus anything else and snow versus anything else. Uh, those two tend to be the best performers. So, you know, keep an eye out for green-white potentially being undervalued in uh, the drafting. Just some quick reminders about Kaldheim. Snowlands, they're great. They're very good. Take them pretty high picks, especially the blue or green duels. If you see a coma, force it, 
I, I was playing against someone who had a mediocre blue-white deck, and they, they just weren't really doing anything. They, they were just kind of fumbling around with their mana and try, trying to get stuff out in the battlefield, but it was all underpowered. Uh, and I felt like I was in super good position. And then they had one forest the entire game, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. They played a second one, slammed Coma, and I just I scooped on the spot. Because even from my what had once been an overwhelming advantage, I, I just couldn't beat a Coma. And I had a removal spell in my hand. <laughs> but th that was just it. When you untap, you look at your hand, and they already have a Coma with potential protection up. That's it. Thing's too big. It's too good. So take Coma. But there's a few other uh, good cards in this set to know. Uh, Glimpse the Cosmos was a bit of a mythic uncommon. It's kind of like a dig through time, <laughs> except you can spread it over two turns if you want to. Uh, there's Path of the World Tree for the, the old five-color snow nonsense deck. There's Bergstrider and Ravenous Linworm as the top end to the, the blue-green snow. Sarolf's Packmate is kind of the absolute house common that you most want to see. Struggle for Skemfar and Sarolf's Packmate kind of give green this super flexible package of playing things out just in the right timing and making sure they always have uh, really efficient mana use. And besides that, all of the little dorky white aggro cards, Story Seeker, it's like the two mana, two, two lifelink, uh, and then some of the, the equipment. These are just going to be good. So if you happen to jump into Kaldheim, just remember Snow is pretty solid. White-based aggro is pretty solid. And uh, take a coma if you see it. Yeah, and likewise, don't forget about, about Svela. If you happen to have a bunch of Snow stuff or you open a Svela, maybe speculate on it early. I don't know how much the bots are passing them around or, you know, letting the Snow stuff wheel. But keep an eye on, on Svela as well because that is a huge piece to the Snow deck. All right, let's chat about Amonkhet. It's up for Premier Draft right now. And the, the remastered set is a little strange. So it's a combination of both Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation. Amonkhet was an extremely aggro format. Hour of Devastation slowed it down by a lot, uh, and it led to some more controlling top-end ramp decks. Amonkhet Remastered still tends to fall on the more aggressive side, but the slow and controlling decks do exist. They're just a little harder to find. Now, when it comes to Amonkhet, I have a tried-and-true strategy. Turn things sideways. Just attack. And uh, don't often block because combat tricks are very good. So attackers are pretty good at getting in and closing games, especially because of Exert. Some of the best two and three drops of Modern Limited. Uh, I'm looking at Gust Walker. That's the one in the white 2-2. Two, two. You can Exert it to give it plus one, plus one in flying. Hooded Brawler that we mentioned earlier. You just don't have time to mess around before turn three and, and do nonsense because you either have to play out these, these little dudes or be prepared to block or kill them. Because otherwise, you're just going to die to them in the late game. I mean, this is a two drop that attacks for three in the air pretty much whenever it wants to. Untapping it is trivially easy thanks to something like the Dauntless Aven or other little untapped synergies peppered throughout the set. And then you have other good top end cards to, to back them up. Something like a Oncrop Champion, the four mana four four. So I love the Naya color exerts, all very good, super cool. Cycling is also a thing uh, in more the blue and black colors. Uh, you've got Striped Riverwinder as kind of this big house that sits at the top end. And of course, cycling shows up on lands and other cards too, and has lots of little synergies. It's kind of like a hodgepodge set. There's a lot going on. There's Embalm, there's Eternalize, there's Cycling, uh, there's Cycling Lands, there's Deserts, the Gods, uh, all sorts of nonsense. Just as some notes, Combat Tricks and Removal, pretty great. You need certain cards, often higher rarity, before the vector of your deck will begin to point more in the controlling aspect. 
I was telling Zach I had a, a deck with like three open fires and I tried to make this like green red not really rampy but kind of rampy but it didn't actually have any ramp controlling deck and it just didn't work. Despite having five good removal spells and some good top end, I was splashing for Approach to the Second Suns. It just didn't work. So you need some very, very particular cards before your deck begins to get a controlling. Otherwise, just play aggro. Just turn things sideways. Uh, there's a lot of great ways to close out games, whether it be little pinging damage from Fervent Paincaster or Wall of the God Pharaohs or little flyers like Gustwalker, the Avens that are all over the place. Uh, that was a lot. Anything to add? <laughs> No, I mean, that was that was pretty much it. Uh, you know, the deserts are pretty solid, so keep those in mind as well as you're rolling through the packs. And keep in mind, if you manage to pick up kind of that little dichotomy that Ben was talking about, if you're picking up a lot of cycling creatures, you can likely play fewer lands. If you're picking up a lot of cycling lands, you can likely play more lands so you can cycle those away when you draw too many. Just keep that in mind and, you know, be a little flexible with your mana base, maybe more flexible than you might have been in the past. There are some weird build-arounds in this format, probably just ignore them pretty much you'd want to be playing your straightforward linear decks that are just smacking face unless you happen to get a really strong reason to stick into one of those build arounds probably just don't bother with them i think like new perspectives is in this set i don't think drake haven made it in if i remember correctly and, and like imminent doom the the weird one we have to cast up of different cmcs you can do this stuff if you really want to but don't be surprised when you get run over by gust walkers and hooded brawlers just taking a little bit of look at the data so far for this set, just sorting by games played win rate, we can just kind of get an idea of some of the top cards in the format. Unsurprisingly, seated at number one is Sand Strangler. The four mana 3-3 three, three, and the ETBs, if you control desert or have a desert in your graveyard, deal three to a creature an opponent controls. Just an ETB, blow up an opponent's good thing, little flame tongue kavu, ravenous chupacabra type action, just always a really good card. And it's pretty indicative of this set is just, you know, good old fashioned, play your good stuff and, you know, turn it sideways afterwards. Desert's Hold, Hieroglyphic Illumination is up here. Uh, it's just a versatile card draw spell, but we are seeing some other, you know, solid removal, Deem Worthy. Uh, then we actually have Desert as the Mindful up at the very, uh, very top. That's interesting. I guess blue decks are able to make better use of their cycling than some of the other cards uh, because they yeah, can... Yeah, well, Drakehaven is actually in this set. So, you know, that's that's a reason. I think the more controly, sort of slower blue-black cycling decks that have a lot of ways to benefit from cycling outside of just cycling seem to be able to do pretty well. But a lot of these, like, top cards we're seeing are, you know, in red and white. Actually, uh, most of them are in red and blue. Yeah. So, you know, uh, keep an eye out on some of those blue cards. It does seem like the blue decks are able to pick up the wins when you get the right pieces. Wow. Spellweaver Eternal. Is that the one with the flicked and prowess, if I remember right? Yeah. And then Aerial Guide, the annoying little jumper. Three mana 2-2 two, two flyer that, or maybe it's a four mana 2-2 two, two flyer. It's some 2-2 two, two flyer that gives a creature flying uh, when it attacks. So again, even the more controlly cards do still like to attack and turn sideways. So I don't know. I tend to like to play it out pretty aggressive in Amonkhet uh, Remastered. But like we said, there's other more controlling vectors too. Some other archetypes to look out for before we move on. Uh, Black White Zombies is always a very scary deck to see uh, across from you. Fan Bearer is a fantastic tapper. And when tappers are good, they're really good. There's Binding Mummy, which again, taps down creatures, makes it really impossible for your opponents to block your, your little guys. Uh, Lord of the Accursed buffs all your stuff and eventually can help you get in for a bunch by giving your team menace. Some other archetypes, uh, blue-black cycling, red-white beats, and then sometimes you'll wind up with like a more rampy green deck. I tried it. I don't know if I'd recommend it. All right, on to Kaladesh Remastered. 
Speaking of attacky formats, this one is one of those. We tend to see a lot more um, attacking here. We have some energy synergies rolling around cards like Long Tusk Cub. Long Tusk Cub was one of the better cards in original Kaladesh. And, you know, energy is pretty wild. It's pretty fun. You've got a lot of vehicles in this format, so keep an eye on those. Two drops are pretty good, as they are in just about any format, but, you know, more so here than some others. And all these things put together make this set pretty pretty combat heavy pretty attacking center nothing scarier than a turn to aether chaser or a long tusk cub and you look at your hand and your curve starts at like three or four you're like uh-oh uh, i'm just gonna lose to this stuff aren't i so it's also an artifact set there's improvise which lets you cheat out your your bigger stuff blue red uh Im improvise and then sometimes in black tended to be a, a pretty strong archetype fabricate can help you go wide or go tall so it kind of provides some versatility, the more mid-range stuff. I believe it's Dawn Feather Eagle is the, the big five mana bird that comes in and gives your whole team plus one, plus one. Remember to be a pretty solid top end. However, I don't care about any of this stuff. I am slamming Winding Constrictor anytime I see it. I love the snake. Black-green counters is a lot of fun in this set. Uh, this is the first set where we got Subtle Strike, which has been reprinted a few times since and kind of become a standard for limited rem removal. That's one in the black. Give a, a plus one, plus one counter to one of your creatures and then give a creature and opponent controls minus one, minus one, which is obviously just really, really good. And then if you have little counter synergies, it gets even better. So I plan on slamming the snake whenever I see it, and especially the top end of the snake deck, Ridge Scale Tusker, which is my favorite card in the format. There are certain times when uh, you'll have a board and you'd rather have a Ridge Scale Tusker than a Virgilus Gear Hulk, which is the green mythic equivalent of it. And it turns out sometimes the Tusker would just put more power onto the board. So I love the Tusker. I'm taking it over pretty much anything. I don't know, maybe Monster's Onslaught if I already have a few Tuskers. <laughs> but uh, I, I love playing red-green in this format. Red-white vehicles with Dapala uh, and all that stuff is fun. I don't believe they put in uh, Renegade Freighter because that card is just stupid and <laughs> made the format uh, less fun overall. But there's still some other fine vehicles in there. There's like Sky Skiff and Mobile Garrison, some garbage like that. Blue-green can do some pretty cool energy stuff. Keep an eye out for the Turtle, which is a deceptively powerful attacker. <laughs> if you can get, start putting some counters on that thing, it turns in like a 3-7 or something. That can be pretty hard to block. And uh, I don't know, anything else you have to say about Kaladesh? We don't have data on this one because, you know, it's not back yet. We'll, we'll know in a little bit what the, the format seems to be shaking out to. Personally, I love this little kind of rapid fire, one set after the other, getting a whole bunch of time with each of them. It's, it's a nice little refresher. Yeah, it's been cool. I don't really have anything to add. We do have data from like the old, like the original time that this, this format came out, but uh, we don't know exactly how things are going to shake out this time around. And frequently we find that when sets come back as like quote-unquote flashback drafts the formats kind of change a little bit the people who are drafting them are newer or not as familiar with what was done before so we tend to see a little bit of a different meta come around when these things come back on on uh, flashback drafts so we'll see how it goes all right last but not least in our four format fiesta we've got icoria uh, zach why don't you tell us all about icoria you know this one pretty well right <laughs> Yeah, so I've done a total of one quick draft in Ikoria, and right. that is it. So I'm going to leave that to you to talk about. <laughs> if you insist. I will say out of all these formats, I think Ikoria is my favorite. Uh, I, I do love Amonkhet and Kaladesh. Kaldheim, whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think Ikoria is my, my favorite out of these ones. 
it's hard to describe this format in terms of archetypes or like decks to look out for because there's like 20 different decks or something like that. You can make a deck around like a single or pair of cards or something. Uh, there's just so many different, as we would say, vectors uh, in drafting Ikoria. Here's some examples. Imagine you first pick Luris. You can make viable Luris decks in Limited, and they work, and they're scary good. You can make some Karuga the Macro Sage decks. Occasionally you can get there with Yorian. Not always. I don't recommend doing Yorian, or honestly, any of them can work. But first picking something like Gyruda Doom of Depths, it just turns your entire draft into this kind of fun little mini-game draft. And that's a pretty cool experience for, I guess, pretty enfranchised drafters that don't often get that, I don't know, that, that challenge or that uh, little change of pace in their drafting. So I love the companions, despite the fact that they are a little bit broken. But that's not all. Imagine you first pick an ultimatum. Then you think, well, I've got to make sure I've got my fixing. I have to make sure I can wind up casting it, maybe take a little more of a, a controlling game plan. Maybe I want like a mana rock more than another deck might. Or maybe you first pick just one of the weird little, I guess, ability-based rares. Something like Prowling Feldar, was it? The green-white vigilance dude that makes your creatures with vigilance uh, tap down stuff your opponents control. Then all of a sudden, you really want the three-mana 2-4 that lets you gain life off of vigilance creatures. You could make like a vigilance theme deck. It's like the, the unicorn that you'd want to slam to. And this is just from like your first pick. This isn't even considering what your second pick is yet. I've already gone down like 15 different hypotheticals about all the different cool directions that could take you pretty much whatever you open drastically changes the direction your draft is going to go and unlike some sets that we've had recently <laughs> cough cough afr uh, m21 all these cards are, are pretty good like there's not a lot of rares that you're disappointed to open in ikoria they're all pretty solid playables ikoria is a pretty powered set Honestly, I look forward to opening pack one pick ones in Ikoria a lot more than I do other sets because you never know what kind of deck you're going to wind up in. Maybe you wind up in like a black white humans with a bunch of whisper squads and, and uh, human lords and stuff like that. Or maybe you wind up in blue green mutate. Or, or I guess we can't really forget the, not the run to the litter. What's the opposite of that? Everything else is the run to the litter compared to red white cycling, which yeah, at one bully. point was broken. It's not, it's obviously a little more self-correcting in human draft, but Zenith Flare is still a very, very good card. Uh, although humans know to take cards that have, you know, generic cycling more than the bots do. So don't expect to get super uh, hooked up with red white cycling all the time. Some of my personal favorite archetypes, I mentioned black, uh, black white humans. I love putting a parcel beast onto a glimmer bell. So you can just kind of like turbo untap and tap and untap and tap and just draw your whole deck and put all your lands on the battlefield, that kind of thing. Red black aggro is a deck I've had a lot of success with. And sometimes you can have a package in there of death touch pingers uh, with like porky parrot and boot nipper to, to kind of machine gun down your opponent's deck or whatever they're trying to do. There's Reanimator in this set. I've played Sultai Reanimator. I've played Blue Black Reanimator, Black Green Reanimator. All of these are viable thanks to some of the big cycling behemoths, uh, Titanoth Rex, and is it the Void Walker? I think it's called or Void something. I'm honestly excited just talking about it. I, I'm excited for this uh, this format to come back more so than the other ones. So I hope everybody has fun with this one. And you, you sir, need to get in a bunch of Ikoria drafts because I think you're gonna like it. Yeah, well, maybe that'll be, you know, those last four days will be the serious push I get if I end up dra if I end up trying to make Mythic and Limited. What I'm getting out of this conversation though is that Ikoria is stipulation draft dot format. 
Pretty much. You can do a lot of really interesting build-arounds, and it, it makes archetypes hard to describe because you could have two green-white decks, like I mentioned, that look entirely different. Maybe one is like a Kahira companion deck, and then the other, you first picked one of the, the elder uh, beasts or whatever you call them. And also, this is a three-color set, so you might be playing in a wedge, too, and the fixing is abundant. There's lots of common dual lands, which I always love. So you could play three-color, two-color, four-color if you're feeling brave. Uh, Five-color never really happened in the set not that i ever really tried but you can do some pretty wacky stuff and i look forward to it coming back well that does it for us this week thanks so much for listening and uh hopefully you know you are getting a little bit of a refresher on all of these formats can go out and jam some trophies in each of these respective formats enjoy your free drafts and you know definitely let us know in the discord what your drafts are going like in each of these formats we'll definitely have a lot of conversation there if you want to join the discord and you haven't already it's completely free to everybody so check that out the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page if you want to support the show once again you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod for all the really cool perks and to you know kind of give us more direct input on how the show is going and what you'd like to see us do and things of that nature and if you want to reach out to us outside of the discord you can do so on twitter by finding me at rannick alfredian ben at betafish one or the show directly at draft pod talk to you next week thanks folks see you everybody so before we go, I don't know why, but I just I'm getting the feeling that something special is coming next week. I can't quite put a finger on it, but do you have any idea what's coming? Uh, this is one of those like you're setting me up to give you an answer thing, and I genuinely don't know what you're talking. About. I mean, in the episode next week, I just feel like something, oh. something unique about next week's episode. I almost feel like something feels so I mean, interesting or, or personal. It, it almost feels like we've already recorded it. I mean, I'm not a fortune teller, and I can't really predict the future, but I have a feeling there might be a guest. <laughs>